Welcome to Food and Loathing, where the champagne is chilling and the engines are revving. <laughs> Although you may have trouble hearing them over all the F1 haters who have turned their bitching and moaning up to 11. Seriously. <laughs> Yes, it is near the race day in Nevada, and this podcast remains completely unaffected by it. And yet we still have plenty to talk about, including a pizza festival and a nice long interview with chef, recipe tester, and food photographer Louis Victor. Woohoo! I am your host, Al Mancini, a man who's been writing about food here in Las Vegas for about 20 years and the creator of the Neon Feast Restaurant Guide app. I'm coming to you this episode from the home of our engineer, Mr. Rich Johnson, where he has apparently <laughs> stocked up on his coveted mambo sauce <laughs> and will be sharing some with me later in the show so I can figure out what the fuck it is. That's right. And by the way, if my friend Selena's is listening, you got to drink every time I say fuck, so now you're up to two. <laughs> But right now, Rip is busy. Rich is busy yeah. flipping switches, <laughs> pushing buttons, and harnessing the power of the almighty interweb to connect us with the show's prodigal daughter, Las Vegas food writer Samantha <laughs> Gemini Stevens, who is still battling that nasty oh, coronavirus. Hello, Gemini. Hi, hi. I'm glad to sort of be back, at least be seeing you and talking to you. <laughs> yeah, over the screen via Zoom. And hey, Rich, how are you doing today? All is well. Uh, a little mambo sauce surprise later. <laughs> okay. Is it mambo sauce italiano? That's right. Oh, there you go. Do we have music to go with it? <laughs> I'm going to get sued, no. And so, Gemini, it's been a hot minute since you've been on the show. I know you've been sick through a lot of it, but um, you got to eat. So yeah. I got to ask, have you had any meals worth talking about? You know, I've had a few. Um, you know, I, I'm so grateful that I have never yet, yet uh, lost my sense of taste or smell in all of this. So when I am hungry, there are still great options in Las Vegas. Even though I can't go out and get it, I can get a lot of it brought to me. Yeah. Um, you know, so for me, of course, being sick equals a lot of delivery. And while some were most about having something when I just felt like having nothing, I didn't have the energy to cook. Some are absolutely worth sending people out to try it themselves. Um, one of my favorites when I am sick and when I'm not, but when I'm sick is, <coughs> excuse me, I love the porridge and soups at Hong Kong Garden on Spring Mountain. It's tucked away in one of those little tiny like strip malls. It's in the very back corner. Um, I love their dim sum too. And you should go and order everything because they are fantastic. Take a big group of people. But again, when I'm feeling under the weather, it's all about soups and stews for me. And this place has some of the most creative combinations and tasty options, including some of my faves abalone with shredded chicken porridge and a deeply Whoa. flavorful fish maw and crab meat soup those are my two go-tos i love these time. are your um your sick get well dishes everybody else wants <laughs> chicken really soup you're ordering abalone <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we have you on this podcast because you are the best oh i love it so much um so i indulged in both of those while hiding under blankets on the sofa and i always add an order of the braised beef tendon for a little extra protein collagen is good for you um, and it's just they just do such a great job everything is super flavorful um, and their hot and sour soup is a staple for me they you know they just do so much over there and if you want it they even have things like soft shell turtle soup and dishes with lots of truffles so for those looking to go all out you really can't go wrong um, so definitely go in and sit at a big table and do the dim sum while you're there with friends but 
definitely order their soups and things like that when you're feeling under the weather. They are better than any chicken soup or matzo ball soup uh, cure that I've ever been given. Um, I was also craving breakfast at one point, so I ordered a Loco Moco from Rise and Shine on Flamingo near the 215. Wow. And I know there's lots of Hawaiian places in town that do it, probably far more authentic than what I'm going to get from Rise and Shine, but it is really good. And I love what they call their gravy yaki sauce. It's like brown gravy meets a little Asian flavor teriyaki kind of thing going on. Um, I got my ribeye steak patty that they make in-house, mid-rare. I got basted eggs. And it also comes with fried spam, so it just adds to that sort of indulgent stick-to-your-ribs kind of thing. But without being, surprisingly, overly heavy. So I really enjoyed that. Um, And then this week, I was not letting COVID stop me from supporting local chef favorite Chef Stephen Lee and his In Limbo ghost kitchen concept out of the Summerlin takeout commercial kitchen space on Rainbow. You can order pickup or delivery, and I'll get more on how you get your food in a second. Yeah, I've been wanting to get over there because they were pushing that opening back a little bit at a time. It was like, we're going to be open tomorrow. We're going to be open tomorrow. Right. (laughs) So they finally opened yesterday. Uh, As we record this on Tuesday, they opened on Monday. And I went to the SummerlinTakeout.com website. Um, It was supposed to be on DoorDash. I couldn't find it anywhere under any of the names, whether it was Jogogies, and I'll spell that when we get to the social media section of this. Um, If I looked under In Limbo, I looked under Summerlin Takeout, I looked under Chef Stephen Lee's name, and DoorDash just didn't have anything. Um, So he has posted, so be aware, delivery is not an option right now. But thankfully, understanding friends were uh, able to help me get my food, get it delivered, and it was delicious. Um, he do- He's doing a kimchi smash burger, um, which is lacy and crispy on the outside, tender in the middle, really juicy. Yeah, I had, kimchi- that di- I had that dish a few weeks ago when he did a pop-up with um, with Will Staten over at his yeah. food truck. That's a really yeah. good fucking burger. Yeah, I'm not a smash it's burger so guy. good. And he started playing with it at Vegas Test Kitchen before they closed earlier this year. And so, and then in addition to that, he's also doing a Korean fried chicken sandwich. Again, super crispy on the outside, moist on the inside. The spices were really great. How it held up the crisp and the moistness after being delivered. I I mean, I can't imagine eating it fresh if that's how good it was when I got it delivered. Um, So I totally recommend going over there, checking them out. They're open from 1030 to 230, Monday through Friday right now. They're just doing lunch again because they just opened. Just those Um, two items, right? Just those two items, and then you can get extra seasoned fries, and you can opt to get an egg on your sandwiches, which, of course, I did because gooey eggs on everything make me happy. So, um, and it's about 15 bucks per sandwich. They are huge portions. You really can't go wrong. I mean, I ate what I could. John ate the rest. There was plenty of food for the two of us. Um, So you can go to Summerlin Takeout. It's on Rainbow. Um, and their website is summerlandtakeout.com. You can order pickup. They are working on the delivery options. So if you want to follow for updates, you can follow his IG accounts. And that is, and I'm going to spell these out, jogogies underscore, J-A-W-G-O-G-I-S underscore. And then the second account is jogogies underscore O-G. And one is the chef's personal account and one is the account for his concept. And all of the updates are being posted. So he is making sure that everybody knows what's going on. But yeah, when you can get over there, get those sandwiches. Um, just super delightful, super fresh. 
and he's working his butt off and it's worth it. Absolutely. Cool. And um, I guess that brings us to me. I will go next here. Vesta Coffee um, held a media event at their West Sahara location yeah. to introduce all of us in the press to their new pastry chef, Jalissa Escovedo. Um, she's going to be overseeing a really serious new pastry program at their two Red Rock venues. Um, but it'll be mostly there. Some of this stuff will spill over to their other venues. I spoke with owner Jared Howard about the chef and what she'll be making. So Jalissa Escobedo, uh, she's a badass. Um, she opened uh, the Wynn Bakery here when La Brea was consulting. Yeah. Um, she worked for um, a lot of really good French chefs uh, over the years. I have her whole bio. I don't have it memorized. No worries. No worries. Um, but she's a badass. She re recently was in New York. She opened uh, uh, a pastry and bread shop in New York. Um, and then she came back to Vegas. This is where she's from. Or she's from Mexico City, but she she's lived here for years. She came back to Vegas, and we were able to get her to come on with us. Okay, so let's talk about some of these baked goods. Cool. And I've seen them right here. So walk me through what a few of your favorites cool. are. So a lot of my favorites. So this is an um, saffron apple tart. Uh, so it's an apple at the bottom and saffron cream on top. We have pinole cookies. Uh, so it's a uh, stone ground Oaxacan corn. They make what's called pinole out of it with cinnamon, um, and those are all you know, you know, heirloom Oaxacan corn cookies. We do trouble cookies, which is like uh, coconut and uh, toffee, or brown butter chocolate chip. We have a roasted pineapple tart, really good. Um, this is a corn and um, honey chipotle bread. Um, pound cake kind of style. We have um, chocolate scones, uh, savory scones. We got a rum raisin pinwheels. These are really good. These are uh, cardamom buns. High level of cardamom in there. Really good. Um, they go great with coffee also. These are uh, fresh fruit cream tarts. This is a pear and blue cheese tart. You gotta try this even if you don't like it. But Sounds it'll, good, it'll, man. It'll blow your mind. Yeah. Um, this is a tequila lime tart with, um, uh, what's it called on top? Meringue on top. Um, we have our pistachio, our baklava croissant. That is a version of a, a croissant that we did a year ago for our anniversary. Uh, we have little uh, personal mini tart to ten roses, which are crazy technical and like really beautiful. Um, pan suisse, almond, brownies. We do our churro cruffins, uh, baguette. We're doing. Wow! So you guys are you guys are serious with this, and all of these are going to be available at the Durango at Durango. Yes, some of these are seasonal and they're going to cycle through. But yeah, this is the the volume of, of selection that we're going to have every day. And I got to say, man, the five or six pastries I tried were excellent, and that pear and blue cheese tart that you just heard Jared Ooh. talking about, man, just unbelievable. I mean, you know, that is honestly a classic flavor combo, but I can't remember having it in a pastry form like this, and they do not shy away from using sharp, sharp cheese, to which oh, I good. say, bravo, yeah, man. Yeah, People yeah, will yes. be talking about this tart, mark my words. Um, <laughs> and speaking of station resorts, there was a nice little grand opening party for Red Rock's new Mexican restaurant 
restaurant, Lenocito. It's in the old Hearthstone space, which, of course, they've redecorated it to make it a bit more Mexican. But the room is still laid out pretty much the same. I had some bites at the party, not enough to share any opinions quite yet. So I'm looking forward to returning, but congrats to them on the opening. That's a good uh, addition for them because Hearthstone just never spoke to me. I mean, what was it? Yeah, I mean, I was excited. It was a brunch place. Yeah. It was, it was, it was pretty predictable. It was good, but it was pretty predictable. Yeah, it kind of lost its identity along the way. I think, as restaurants will do over time, unfortunately, sometimes. Um, okay, this week we had our big meal, oh, dinner yeah. at Nomad. So we were oh. celebrating Sue's new job. Um, she, my, my baby is crushing it out there. Congratulations, Sue. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, she's killing it. And um, so, you know, we wanted to go out. I, I threw out a couple of options and, you know, asked her where she wanted to go for dinner. And she's off of her steakhouse for every celebration kick. This time we decided we were going to do <laughs> Nomad Library in the Park MGM. And man, yeah. I just love this fucking restaurant. It's a gorgeous place, great room, set up like an old library i think rockefeller's book collection on the shelves that they bought when they opened the place up it's beautiful looks like the library from beauty and the beast um fantastic lots of dishes for two there which really makes it a great date night restaurant um for us it was a celebration restaurant though we started off with the tuna tartare for two that was made table side delicious it was a little heavy on the horseradish the fresh shaved horseradish but honestly we could have adjusted that if we liked since he made it in front of us and asked we just went a little heavy on the horseradish yeah you know, no complaining at all. <laughs> also, um, did an heirloom tomato burrata caprese. And, Ooh. you know, I'm not a tomato guy. and I, I never grew up liking tomatoes, but, you know, I've come to them later in life. But this was just fucking fantastic, man. These yellowish, orangey yellow tomatoes. And they were cut with little bits of super thin sliced apple in between the cuts that even if you weren't eating the apple you were just cutting up the tomato you kind of got a little bit of that apple flavor which was fantastic and it was served over a peach mustarda and I'm really coming to mustarda late in life but I'm really starting to like that that's also another place in Park (laughs) MGM that that I love to go does a great mustarda dish and that's over at um, Bavette's Steakhouse but keeping with where we are um, so that was fantastic I had a crab carbonara, which comes with um, some bacon, summer squash, an uni bachamal, parmesan, and a little bit of an egg on top. I don't know if it was a chicken egg or a quail egg. It was kind of halfway in between size, so not quite sure. I wasn't really caring. I will say it's a little creamier than what you expect from, from carbonara, but... You're warned going in because it says it has uni bachamal, right? So you know there's going to be a sauce oh, there involved. And you put amazing. a sea urchin on it, and I'm fucking fine if you throw tradition <laughs> out the window and yeah. give me sea urchin. Good I'm a happy Lord. guy. So yes. it was fucking awesome. I loved it. Uh, Sue had a rack of lamb with a Moroccan spiced rub, um, some black currant jus, and a baked potato. This She ordered the potato separately. The baked potato Dumont which comes with black truffle Gruyere. So, man, I mean, you've got to love Nomad Library because it's one of those places that they know their audience. And I think their audience leans more towards tourists than it does towards foodie foodies who are looking for surprises in every dish. But Uh this is so elevated. So the dishes are going to be very, very familiar to people. You could take people there who may not be fine dining, want crazy things, um, and they're going to find stuff that they like on that menu. But it's all elevated to a fine dining level. And I just love the restaurant. And it looks like they're going to find a new, never 
thought of take on something that they think is going to be familiar. Yeah, and and that's yeah. what's beautiful. Like about a big it. roof of Gruyere on top of a baked potato. <laughs> I saw that picture. Wow. Yeah, no, it I was, love it. it was so damn good. So I love Nomad Library, and I highly recommend it to everybody. Uh, hit Ada's. We did some old favorites and some new dishes there. I'll just mention the steak tartare that we tried. I think it was new. It was great. Parsnip chips, capers, horseradish on a focaccia bread. Um, also had the frise and shaved pear salad, which came with blue cheese, candy pecans, and a brown butter vinaigrette. And again, we're talking about those that classic flavor combination, the pear, the blue cheese, yeah. right? Same thing we were just talking about in pastry. Um, it was fantastic. These um, delicata squash rings, which were kind of mm. interesting with um, hot I honey and toborashi. And then some miso aioli. And that's one of those dishes, you know, that, again, it just does what Ada's does. They always take you into unexpected places. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Their pork belly was great. It comes with the Szechuan apple compote and um, a hazelnut brittle crust. And I'm a person, I don't order a lot of pork belly because the thick layer of fat sometimes can yeah, be a bit too, too much, much for me. Yeah. But this had been crisped up, done really well. Oh. It didn't have that, like, didn't make me feel like I should be cutting the fat off and setting it off to the side. Some people I know love the fat. Fat's where the flavor lives. Hell I get yeah. it. But um, <laughs> I like it when they put a little more texture in it. It's not quite as gelatinous. And they did that really well here. And then they brought me out, um, it's not even on the menu, so forgive me if I'm getting the description wrong but pizza roll stuffing raviolis with the pesto on top and just a great fucking dish man Ada's always um you know surprises and always gives me something with wow factor so i love that restaurant of course that's the james trees restaurant over in tivoli village if you haven't been there please check it out also did a sandwich over at proper sandwich had their chicken bomb me for lunch one day this week that was great um and then, of course, big day, the pizza festival, Las Vegas oh, Pizza Festival. Yes. Man. I had a blast at the third edition of this festival, which was held this past Saturday at the Industrial Event Space. Neon Feast was excited to be one of the sponsors, and I was thrilled to do some emceeing from the stage, running around, shooting some video interviews for other projects that I have going on. But Rich, man, as I was doing that, you ran around and spoke to um, some folks for our podcast, so why don't I let you take it from here? Well, I did have a, a great time uh did not need much dinner that night or breakfast the next morning <laughs> brought my trusty digital audio recorder along and i discovered that pizza fest is about much more than just pizza diana Breyer at greco and sons we're in the middle of the pizza fest and here you are serving up italian beef <laughs> you know i'm more than just cheese it's a little bit of a surprise to some people is this as authentic as I'm going to find in Las Vegas? Because I did live in Chicago for a while. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So our home base is out of Chicago. So that's like where the entire team came from. And so a lot of our recipes are Chicago-based recipes. I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> I'm going to steal this one right here. It's got beef, a little bit of garnier. The bread is great. The, the, the beef is perfect. I, I usually like them totally soaked, but I can live. This has got enough moisture to satisfy my old Chicago days. Oh, good. I'm glad. It's so nice to see you. <laughs> Diana Breyer served me some uh, Chicago Italian beef, and now James Trees is serving up a couple previews of La Boheme. What's La Boheme? So that's the French restaurant we're doing uh, with our partners down on Imperial and Main, the tie-dye building. So we're doing two different things there. We're doing a cocktail bar in the back, and the gougere that you had is kind of a bite from that menu. We don't pay for it. They're just part of the experience. They're an amazing order of appetizer for the restaurant. So one of the things we definitely want to have. Those little French food. 
Yeah, the, better the, than the shit you were eating in Paris. <laughs> yeah, I had a nice steak for each at a place in the neighborhood. It was better than the fucking French taco you ate. Uh, yes, yes, it is. I'm still having nightmares about the French taco the French in taco. Paris. I am Christina from Carlos Bakery, and we're serving cannoli. Want one? I do. I have not had a cannoli in a while. This is nice because it's lighter than the usual filling that just sort of it overwhelms me usually. Yep, that's our uh, special recipe. Oh, a special recipe. Where's the ordinary recipe? Oh, that I don't know. <laughs> so after all of that, it was time for some pizza, and I started with what looked like an oxymoron, a pizza labeled Chicago that was about as thick as two slices of paper. But Tony Gemignani from Pizza Rock set me straight. Well, that's our tavern-style pizza. You know, at Pizza Rock, we do almost every style of pizza from Neapolitan to Detroit to Grandma to Sicilian. Our tavern-style pizza is a pizza we make with a little bit of cornmeal, Old school, rolled out with a rolling pin, trimmed, docked, and then a you know different ingredients like hand pinched sausage that you see in Chicago, a little bit of garlic, agave garlic, pepperdues, piped ricotta, cup and char pepperoni. Basically, the kitchen sink today. Almost the kitchen sink, but it's a delicious kitchen sink. <laughs> My name is Justin Ford. We're in Las Vegas. We are Yukon Pizza. What are you serving up here? We're serving a home means Nevada. It's got a manchego mozzarella mix. A little bit of sage oil, pine nuts, and uh, fresh sage on top, and some hot honey. Oh, it's like a dessert pizza. There it is. Damien McAvoy. We're, st- we're uh, serving cheese pizza, and we're serving pepperoni and sausage. With the Detroits and the grandmas and the Chicago's and everything else, now this looks like a proper piece of pizza. Yeah, this is a New York-style pizza. This is a classic, real New York, and I'm immediately hit with that wonderful cheese, tomato, oregano it tastes like new york smells in a good way so that's the pizza yeah you know i'm glad you talked to tony about that tavern style pizza because that is a trend that i'm seeing everywhere i was seeing it before i went to this festival and um everybody's all about tavern style john john arena and i had a conversation about it not too long ago from metro pizza and he's saying he thinks it's because everybody got really back into the idea of getting delivery again over covid you know instead of going out and eating within the pizza parlors and tavern style does hold up a lot better on delivery than many many other styles so it's coming back into fashion and that is always that you know people from chicago always you know yell at me rich you're from chicago the way you're from the pacific north you're from fucking everywhere you're from maryland (laughs) you're from chicago you're from the like you lived everywhere but um you know whenever people think that chicago style pizza is that deep dish pizza I know folks from Chicago that'll always tell me, no, 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 tavern style is it, that thin, crispy one. Okay, well, I'll forgo the beverages and all that and talk about some of my restaurant businesses uh, visits. And here's a shocker. It was a breakfast-forward week for me. And I yeah, to, baby. Uh, I got the new, a new one for me in a long, revisited place in a neighborhood place. The usual neighborhood place, Life's a Bagel, small shop near the Smiths at Rampart and Lake Mead. I have two breakfast options for me, the full lox, tomato, onion, cream, cheese, capers thing, or two-egg sausage and American-style cheese food product. And I went with the latter on the last one. Uh, Another word about that place, they do a lot of other things than just bagels. Usual sandwich suspects, they'll sell you some lox or some corned beef. Cheeses, cream cheeses with stuff in it. And, of course, uh, homemade pot pies, pastries, and also some challah, arugula, and uh, black and white cookies that look like they're all made in-house. My new breakfast place, Jim, one of your usuals, Leona Cafe in the Tivoli oh, Village. It. 
You order from the big menu at the counter. You get your little plastic number. You stick it on the table. I had an omelet with cheese, mushroom, spinach, and red pepper. It backed up with a nice fluffy pancake. Uh, my only complaint about this was that the breakfast menu had no real bacon. No, it's kosher. It's kosher? <laughs> no. Yep. So how do Leone, they have chorizo? Leone Cafe. The, uh, oh, it's it's probably turkey, chorizo, or beef. Yeah. Okay, yeah, they have turkey, bacon, steak, chorizo. Chorizo is <laughs> just a little too spicy for me in the morning. But everything else was wonderful, including a hot, strong coffee that kept me going. Uh, place, yeah, the coffee is good. Place I have not patronized in a very long time. Called my name on Sunday morning for some damn reason. The Coronado Cafe is the 24-hour place at South Point. It's got a menu as big as an encyclopedia. I'll take you right back to uh, <laughs> New Jersey uh, Greek diners. I had a nearly perfect bacon and eggs. Uh, maybe could have used another 30 seconds on the eggs, but that's all I could complain about. A big shout out to my server, whose name I did not get. She answered my usual question of bacon at uh, breakfast. Which is better, the sausage or the bacon? And she said the bacon. And it was perfect. Not raw, but not tree bark. Perfect. Actually, it was done for me. So forks up for the Coronado Cafe at South Point. All forked up. Yeah. I was, I was going to name my old TV show All Forked Up for a while. That was one yeah. that the network was throwing around. Never aired, so it wouldn't have fucking mattered. <laughs> Selena, that how many drinks? You. How many drinks is she up to? I don't know, Selena. How many drinks? Uh, coming up in the news, half-price steaks for locals, an expansion at Golden Steer, and stone crab season has arrived. But first, I sit down with photographer Louis Victa and talk about her new book for Eater, 100 Essential Restaurant Recipes. This is Food and Loathing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Here you are in Vegas, you're hungry, and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast. Restaurant recommendations from real food pros sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. You want the strip, off strip, downtown, great views, great value? Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com. You want more Al Mancini? You can hear me all week long on all of the Highway Drive and Vegas Vibe radio stations delivering the Neon Feast foodie updates. Also, keep your eyes open for my appearances on Wake Up With The CW and my videos on the at Vegas social media channels. And you can find some of my writings at visitlasvegas.com. So I'm in um, Gabby Coffee House on Spring Mountain Road, and I have just been joined by Louis Victor. Louis, how are you doing today? Doing well. Doing fantastic. Yeah? Yeah. Things good, huh? Yeah, of course. 
office. Louis, you have, um, I mean, people always think I have like the greatest job in the world. And I, I certainly do for somebody that's kind of not trained in any of what I do. I think I, I do pretty well for myself. But for somebody who is, is trained in all the things that you are trained in, I think you have one of the coolest jobs in the world because it's not just one job. It's really three jobs. You are a, um, a professional food photographer. You are a chef. You're also a recipe taster and developer. Am I getting that right? Is, am I describing your career choices correctly? Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Kind of um, a couple of those I fell into right after the pandemic right after uh, you know bizarre laid us all off and um, yeah I guess uh, a lot of people we've lost a lot of really good cooks in the industry who have moved on to I don't, don't want to say better things but different things, different things yeah. yeah so um, my story is just one of them yeah so I guess you, you first came to my attention, actually, and I owe so much to you because you were one of the only podcasts in Las Vegas for a while that talked about food. And while I wanted to put a podcast together, I would listen to your Two Sharp Chefs podcast all the time, take notes, try to figure out how you guys did what you were doing so incredibly well. So that was my introduction to you. Then I realized that you had worked at Bizarre Meat, as you just said, and you are actually trained as a chef. So you came to all of this food work through Kong training or through hospitality school, right? Correct. Correct. I wouldn't call it school. Um, I actually graduated from um, uh, University of the Philippines. So that was a hospitality management school. So we didn't really um, do a lot of the cooking that, uh, you know, that you would do like at a place like the CIA or like, you know, um, Cordon Bleu. But I just decided to take the back road to that, which is like work through it. Because like it's, it's really a... Uh, it's really a working type, learning type industry. It's never the same skills that you pick up and from one kitchen to the next. And the only real way for you to learn is to just like drill it down on the line, basically work for all these great chefs and, uh, you know, hopefully um, become a great chef as well. Well, the, yeah, and there are chefs who, first of all, there's some fantastic chefs who have gone to the big schools, CIA, we all know them. Um, and then there are fantastic chefs who just come up through working on the line. Um, you coming in from a hospitality school and hospitality management, um, not the hospitality school, but from a college with a hospitality degree. How much is your formal education serving you? Um, formal education? I mean, four-year bachelor's? Um, they put you through the ropes over there. Sometimes I'm like, I want to be a chef, but why am I studying chemistry? Well, that that really um, plays into like, hey, you know, how to make a great salad dressing, like emulsions and all that. You know, how like certain ingredients to react to one another, or why am I taking statistics or calculus? Then maybe yeah, the math actually plays in for your like recipe testing costing and development while it's like not that direct it plays in so you know like i i'm a big and avid supporter of like any type of learning whether like four-year university degrees associates even a certificate just as long as like you're doing what you're passionate about uh, so when you first came to the states I, I was reading a piece on eater that came out when the book came out and it says one of your first jobs was actually working in a zoo and hanging out with the animals but you're actually cooking in the zoo did i get that right yes i wasn't cooking for the animals no. okay okay the so um like just like any other great park or like amusement park or zoo there's like obviously a food service establishment in there so yeah it was one of those things that 
I was like, okay, I'm just going to take this job at the zoo because I didn't have a car. I, the zoo was right there. It was like maybe a 20-minute walk from my apartment by the beach in San Francisco. So I was like, you know what? I mean, this is a grand first job. And, you know, me not knowing, like, what X amount of dollars per hour. Probably 10 at the time in 2001. You know, I didn't, I didn't think that, you know, like that was, you know, like one of the bottom rung jobs. I was just happy to be out there cooking. So in San Francisco, that's like, you know, that doesn't cover, I don't know what it covers at that rate in San Francisco. Oh, yeah, that's, that's how I eventually got moved to Vegas. Yeah, you know, made that decision to move to Vegas because I had an aunt here. And she was like, you know, like, how's this here? Well, it's 60000 instead of like the 700000 shoebox that I was like looking at. So, right. yeah. So when did you move to Las Vegas? I believe that was in 2004. Yeah. There was not much going on um, out here. Just the strip. And there was downtown and um, just tumbleweeds and bars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was here in 2001 and it has changed a lot in that time. Did you move out here to be a chef? And if so, where? Correct. So my first job was um, at the Grand Lux. I still picked up the paper, (laughs) the classifieds, and I noticed, I'm like, wow, this place really needs help. They've got like an ad every week. They've got a big ad every week. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I interviewed for that. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be working at the Venetian, you know, everything's so brand new to me. So, and then... And Grand Lux, for people who don't really know, as I understand it, was sort of that Sheldon Adelson kind of liked Cheesecake Factory, but it wasn't upscale enough for him. So and this is the way I've been told the story over the years. And so he basically went to the people who created Cheesecake Factory and said, could you do a fancier Cheesecake Factory? I mean, is that kind of like what the deal is with Grand Lux? Yeah, it's fancy. <laughs> it's, it's fancier. And... Um, <laughs> but it's still that like million page menu and you make everything when you cook there, right? It's exhausting. Um, like I was just going to tell you that, you know, from my perspective, while it's fancy from the diner's perspective, um, it was also like their only 24 hour operation in the Venetian. I don't know if they do have that. I do have another one on the time. So the turnover was high. Um, lots of stations. It was mayhem. So three shifts being covered and like that kind of like extensive menu required a lot of bodies. Like I've seen um, grown men just like throw their tongs and just quit basically. So now that explains why there's that big ad in the paper <laughs> yeah. all the time. Um, it was a great place to learn high volume and patience, <laughs> but not quite, you know, hammering down finesse and all that. But so. So when did you make the move into a more fine dining atmosphere? Um, I believe that was when I decided to apply for the win. And, uh, yeah, I worked at the country club there. Um, under- so was that with Carlos Guia? That was with Carlos Guia eventually. But the country club had, like, a number of chefs that went through it. It was under Jimmy Sneed. Do you remember Jimmy Sneed? I do not remember Jimmy Sneed. No, tell me about Jimmy Sneed. Yeah, he was like a... Um, I believe that like, he was from the South. And when I interviewed for him, he was like, do you know who I am? I'm, I'm this James Beard nominee chef, you know? Okay. And then he brought with him his, his little um, uh, posse, this little gang of people <laughs> that kept Malden salt in their pockets. 
So when we actually go out to bars and whatever, they would like sprinkle their mold and salt. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean it's 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 a uh, it's a very colorful industry. Uh, choose to work for it. Yeah. yeah, interesting people, and I guess it's good you, you get used to those personalities early, right? Very, very. I mean, it's just. Having spent that much time in a kitchen, I had to kind of tame myself to get back out and deal with, like, the whole media and, like, you know, more prim and proper 9 to 5 entertaining you know, entertainment side. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really colorful. It really brings out, like, a lot of, I don't want to say your personality, but just it's, it's, it's sort of like a trauma dance every night. You got to kind of, like, nail everything perfectly. Otherwise, you know, you're not doing your job correctly. So there's nothing, nothing short of perfect. Otherwise, you fail. And then, of course, to go work for Jose Andreas and Bazaar Meat, which to me is a restaurant that has no peers. I mean, certainly not in Las Vegas. And I don't know if anywhere in the world there's a restaurant that, that approaches beef with that level of education and sophistication that has the, the the dual influences of Jose Andres as being both ingredient driven and obsessed with the best ingredients but also the avant-garde techniques that he you know picked up when he was at El Bulli that he developed when he was at El Bulli that that he brings over so there's a lot there are a lot of moving components that are kind of one of a kind in Las Vegas at Bazaar what was it like to work within that environment you know um I'm going to share something like really just like very personal to like the team that opened Bazaar. Um, we've become a family and um, it's unlike any other restaurant that I've actually worked for where, you know, they train you, they stick you in a station, they expect you to do your best. Um, over there, they, do, they actually asked you to like get to know your neighbor and get to know your build relationships basically. Um, before you master a station, and if you want to get promoted, you need to train someone else for your station. So, you know, to demonstrate that leadership. And usually, like, peers encourage peers to do better. There's, there's, and, and I kind of, like, attributed this to the fact that it's not a union house at first. But then again, I found out that was actually the, the quality of people and the company culture, the kind of people that they hire who are, like, hungry and, you know, not scared to do the right things. So that's what makes that place magical, you know? It's not just like about, like, we got to get this steak done. It's about, yeah, we need to incorporate Jose Andres' story in this, you know, and got to taste exactly the way that he wants it to. So how that's trickled down from Jose to the R&D chefs to, like, the people on the ground, I mean, it's just a lot of, like, education, and it's an inspiring place to be as a cook. Because, like, at the time, I was, like, already getting burned out. I'm like, is there, do I do I stick with this job? It's comfy. I've got almost, like, a month off being, like, you know, at, in the union. But it's the same thing over and over and over again. So, you know, the, the lack of seasonality in Vegas menus is no joke. No joke. And I'm glad that, you know, more, more players are coming in and, and breaking that mold but yeah it's bazaar is a definitely definitely a special place because of like how each person who works there interacts with each other and just like elevates the experience when did you uh, when did you realize that taking pictures of food could be just as rewarding as serving people food um you know what uh 
well, that was like quite a turn because I'm like, you know, I was like kind of like approaching my middle ages in the restaurant. I was like, the the aches and pains have been like showing up, and you know, you notice that people around you are getting younger and younger, <laughs> and you you don't speak the same language anymore. So, meaning like your peers have either like have graduated on to like the more executive positions and all that. Plus, I I always kind of liked photography. So I always wanted to dabble in that. So I was like, what's the first step? What's the first step? How do I take this career, you know, like, or, or this hobby into that dimension, like, where, you know, where it can become a reality? So I went to CSN. Um, and um, that's where I met Chuck Lohman, who's a brilliant photography professor. Uh, and they'll teach you there. Um, it's, it's more of they'll teach you a little bit of the technique, I'm sorry, it's not a little bit. They'll teach you a lot of the technique, but it's not like just theory. They'll teach you how to apply it. So I, I see a lot of CSN graduates actually um, working more in the media field than other colleges and universities that are around here. So, yeah. Um, but, so you had the for- you decided to go and teach yourself the formal training and i think that's really interesting because i'm always inspired by the creativity of people with absolutely no formal training just the desire to to do things but those who take the form of the time to take it to another level and get formal training maybe i'm just an old guy but it's noticeable to me and it's noticeable when i see your photos that you know that, that these are being done by a professional um was that always obvious to you that if you wanted to do this, you couldn't just be self-taught, that you needed to go get, at least get a little bit of a formal background? Correct. It's, it's kind of like this. The way I, I see it back then, I was like, you got to know all the rules so that you can learn to break them and make something new. So I've always kind of like approached it from like a, a standpoint where, you know, I'm like looking at everybody else's work and I'm like, I don't want to be like that. Um, what can I do to make it better? What what process can I implement? You know, like w- where in my toolkit, in my alternative toolkit, you know, it's either you know a, a twist in lighting or like a change in angle. But it really is like me knowing how to best tell the story of the dish. Because like, I I gotta ask like what's so great about this plate? You know, like where did these like okay what is this? This is a uh, um, salmon that you had, you know? Oh, oh, you're looking at my food, yes. A little bit of salmon on some brioche, yes. Right, yeah. So it really is about, like, giving your client or, you know, your viewer, you know, points to think about. And the details matter, so... And, and choosing the details, I would think. I, I don't do this from a visual standpoint. My visual um, storytelling is extraordinarily limited. I don't consider myself a great visual storyteller. But yet, when you do it with words, it's very much the same thing. You could sit down with people and go into a conversation. And I never know what the angle is until I've spent time with that person, right? And I've got to feel that it's the same way that you never really know what the best way to shoot a dish is until you know a bit more and, and become more familiarized with the total story of that dish. Correct. It's uh, I'll never know until I have the dish in front of me and I have spoken to the chef and I know what where his points of excitement are, like what's so special about this. So those are like one of my questions that I really ask. I, I tend to ask that. 
um, what's so special about this dish? Where do you get this dish? You know, would you like to be able to communicate that to your viewers? I mean, because it's a lot of uh, information now, like visual um, art is like communicated through social media. So, um, and, and that has become a problem because there are some people who do amazing, amazing TikTok videos or whatever. But the truth of the matter is, I get no information out of them. I, that's why. I mean, there's a reason it's called food porn. Very much like porn, it can be fun to look at, but you really don't know much about the story by the time you've left. And I think that there's something to a professional photographer that means you need to raise it above that porn level. You need to make it so that it's more than just a feast for the eyes, but that even if on a subconscious level. It's informing me about the restaurant, about the chef. And that is a challenge, I would think. Correct. Yeah. I mean, there's also, you know, the um, the caliber of service in the restaurant. I tend to ask about price points. Like, what do you want this to look like? Because, like, you can, you can actually shoot and style one dish and make it look like it's over 150 bucks. Right. Correct. Um, and then, you know, um, and then you're dispensing it to like a 20-something market. It's not going to work out, right? You know, there's like a truth in advertising clause that I, I tend to um, want to stick to. You know, if, if we're doing a lot of exaggeration here, if the food's not going to uh, remotely resemble what, what's going to arrive at somebody's table, let's not shoot it. Like, I, I please, like, let's do a workaround where it can actually, you know, survive that you know that gap because i mean look mcdonald's burger always looks great because they have like the best styling team the best photo team but it still has the same amount of ingredients in there ex except for the fact that you know that burger is hollow in the back yeah. and they put all the ingredients up front that's why it looks so juicy and plump and and when you unwrap your big mac it's just like what is this, right? <laughs> it's, it is the way that the, the minimum wage employee put it together. It is not the way that a food stylist put it together. Correct, correct. But it's the same amount of ingredients. Yeah. So that's like the truth in advertising clause. So if I, you know, were, you know, part of like the general public that's like consuming this information, I would look for consistencies from like, okay, this is like, these are like the restaurant photos. And then let's see what, you know, the, the, um, what the um, patron photos look like and stuff like that. So, yeah, definitely. So. so you mentioned stylists. Do you work with food stylists? Well, my opinion on it is, um, like, I do a little bit of styling myself, but I've, I've worked with a, a nice lady named Amy Villarreal, and, um, you know, I, having a stylist actually takes a lot of pressure off your set. Especially if your client's demanding, they want X amount and X amount of shots done in one day. Um, having that extra set of eyes where you can like just ping off each other, ping ideas off each other, it actually elevates your quality of work. Not just for the stylist, but for you too. So it becomes kind of like a tandem um, job. Um, I, it's art is such a collaborative process that I actually like welcome it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the thing about creativity uh, that most people don't get. Sometimes I don't wake up the most creative. Sometimes I'm like, what the hell do I do? Right? Like, how do you get there? It's it's about you know getting your hit rate up, like absorbing all sorts of like um, other information art to music and just like keeping yourself overall well and happy 
and that's where like the creativity plays in. But it's hard to like go from one job to the next and you know have that fresh set of eyes. So yay, food styling, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I want to get to your cookbook because you have the Eater 100 Essential Restaurant Recipes. But before we get to that, the third part of your um, of your career is as a recipe tester, and I believe that's something that goes into cookbooks. Now, I've had the experience of working on a cookbook in my life, and I know that there are cookbook authors whose entire job is to interpret the way that a chef views a recipe into a, a, a a kind of vernacular that the home chef will understand and and really translating it from the way they measure it in the restaurant to the way that it, there's there's a norm for cookbook authoring. So is that, in, in your experience, is that what it's been like? Has it been like you need to then go reinterpret what a chef's, is, is that part of your job? That is part of the job. Um, with the, my experience with the Eater 100 uh, cookbook, uh, we took recipes from chefs and they're, you know, chef's, chef's chicken scratch, basically. Um, we don't usually get, like, that nice formatted, okay, this is ready for four. We get recipes that are, like, for 100 people, 500. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously the math plays in here. And then knowing from working in a professional kitchen that not, not all scale-ups and scale-downs work. So you kind of need to really experiment with that. But it's interpreting that chef recipe where it's not fully fleshed out. Because a lot, you got to think of um, the people that are going to read the cookbook and actually buy the cookbook. And you want them to have 100% success when they cook through the recipes. Like, I, I had to, like, really flesh out um, stuff for Steps for the Eater cookbook. Where it's like, okay, fry this for five minutes and then set this aside. And then I had to take into account, like, okay, well, this store, can we do this ahead of time? We really did factor in, you know, ease of use with this cookbook and really, really paid attention to, to like, how, how they were interpreted in the, the real setting, wherever kitchen that may be, wherever restaurant that may be across America. So I believe we have, like, the best of both worlds here where we actually were... Um, true to the chef's vision at the same time you know like we're not going to make that 16 hour chicken stock and we're just going to sub you know like grocery bought chicken stock just because like um your normal housewife with four kids won't cook through the recipe you know so we've actually um approached it from there so there are a hundred restaurant recipes in this book that's out right now right is that's what i'm reading so i guess my question is when you get those recipes submitted, do you then go to the restaurant? Do you then meet with the chef? Do you, it seems like you wouldn't have time to do that at all of them. Do you do it at any of them? No, no. But um, we've had meetings. And um, this was... I worked on this cookbook about the summer of last year. Yeah, it was the summer of last year. Um, lots of meetings. I would, I would spend a week like cooking through like maybe 30, 40 recipes. And I would make my notes... And I would, I would, I would tell um, Hillary, the um, the national uh, restaurant editor of Eater, because she wrote the book. I would have meetings with her, check-ins, and I would tell her like, "Hey, this works. This doesn't work. You know, this one's kind of like a disaster. You know, and then this is missing a step. <laughs> and then 
whatever this this person's publicist says that this is a recipe, this is not correct. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I would cook through it, and you know, my my kitchen, my home kitchen became a restaurant. And I had so much ingredients at one point. Like, I needed an extra fridge in the garage. I needed an extra freezer in the garage because, like, I was just blowing through all these recipes. So the uh, communication had to happen, unfortunately, through technology, through Zoom. But it still was a revelation. Every res- restaurant that I worked with and every recipe that I um, actually developed was kind of like a getting-to-know-you process. You know, from a cook's perspective, it's it was like I worked in all of these kitchens, you know, just by learning these one recipes and, you know, the backgrounds of these uh, dishes that they were, uh, yeah. So you have 100 recipes in here, not a single Las Vegas restaurant, unless I missed one there. Um, so what's going on with that? Who do I have to call to complain to at Eater about that shit, man? You know, um, I can only attest. To the, the time that this cookbook was probably being developed, um, there was actually a change of guard at Eater Las Vegas. Yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I love that Jana Carell's over there now. I worked with her at the Review Journal. I had her on this podcast the minute she got that job. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Jana. So um, that might have played into it because um, at the time, too, like we were coming out of the pandemic. Um, what do we like really really have um i don't know how long that gap was between you know susan and jana and maybe it was around that time that you know like you know they were they were actually heavily relying on like the local editors to kind of pitch in their their the restaurants so obviously if they're a little short-handed on on one city that's going to be a little harder to have them pitching ideas Oh, exactly. Or, or like names and restaurants. Said, but, you know, I will agree with you. Las Vegas is a little underrepresented, but we're slowly changing that. It's, it's a great city. We're nothing. Sh- there's, we're not short on talent here. Right. Not short on talent here. We just need the right set of eyes and the right, you know, mouths to sit at the restaurant and actually, like, give a review. So, question for you. For somebody who's out in a restaurant, wants to get great snapshots that will impress their friends on social media, but doesn't want to have a professional setup, doesn't want to let the food get cold, doesn't want to piss off their spouse, one or two tips maybe that would make their photos better. Can you think of any? Pay attention to your light. Pay attention to your light. Watch the shadows. If the shadows are a little hard, because like number one would be like finding a nice window to sit by. And then knowing which time of day to, to sit down by that window is um, amazing. Because, like, like, just like with any subject, if you put, like, a person outside, they look different, like, at 12 noon versus, like, 7 in the morning or during golden hour. It's just kind of like the same thing with food. But pay attention to your shadows. And um, if you notice that it's hard, just kind of, like, back it away a little bit from the light. And then I'm assuming that you're shooting with an iPhone? Well, yeah. And, you know, I have this thing now that, um, yeah, I got a better iPhone because I had to process videos, right? So I get a better processor. But in order to avoid those shadows, I do bring an exterior light. It's very small, handheld. I can hold it in one hand. I can work the fingers on, you know, the, the controls with one hand while I hold my camera with the other. But I find myself a lot now that I'm getting too many shadows. And so I'm holding my camera really far away from the table and using the zoom to get it in there. So the camera itself isn't lending any shadows to it, right? So that's where I find myself getting very awkward, trying to keep the light out of the picture, my phone back far enough with the zoom, like balancing 
all those things out just makes me fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, so the Zoom, uh, no, don't use that. Okay. Because you're sacrificing on like your picture quality then. Um, it's yeah, it's different because like the iPhone makes a lot of decisions for you. Uh, you know, a professional photographer makes their own decisions. Um, you just don't know that, like in terms of like exposure, and you know how long, how much of that light to let in the camera to dictate mood and ambiance and all these other things that you normally really wouldn't communicate in like a quick snapshot. But if I had to think of two things, it's like sitting near a window, not like a bright, bright, bright window, but like, like where the light's nice and tame and, you know, like... Yeah, and, and there's nothing more beautiful than that natural light because it's not directional, right? It's so, it, 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 it just wraps around everything. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a, a lover's soft caress type deal, you know, not the hard shadows, not like the big eye bags. You're not accentuating that. So, yeah, big window. Um... Just to the side of your food, always side light, basically. Um, if you have, I, and I will ask you to put this in your kit, just buy one of those like white boards and um, at the dollar store. Cut it in half for you so that you know it's, it can fit in like you know a briefcase or something. But I tend to use mine whole. But if you can bounce back some of that light, that natural light, instead of like using another light to compensate for that, because like more often than not that light is not balanced that light is going to introduce all sorts of other colors into your food that you may not want right. and that you don't want to deal with in post but just bounce a little bit of that light to kind of like soften that it's kind of like applying like airbrushing your food before you like actually take the exposure yeah well, there you go tip from a professional you can buy the book eater 100 essential restaurant recipes i'm assuming this is available on amazon as well as through eater Correct, and I believe like Hillary is still doing a book tour right now. So yeah, um, it's a very neat cookbook. Um, there's something here for everyone. Um, my favorite, favorite, favorite recipe. Yeah, you, you keep mentioning Hillary, and I should say the official author on this book is Hillary Dixler Kahneman. Yeah, she is the national uh, restaurant editor of Eater.com. Yeah, Eater National. And, yeah, uh, it was such a pleasure working with them and the rest of the Eater team. And where can people who just love the porn aspect of it see more of your work? Because I I have to tell you, I know I have a couple friends. I won't mention all the names. I have a couple favorite food photographers. You are definitely at the very at the top of that list, on the short list of my favorite people to look at your food photos. So where can people see that? Um, That would be my website. It's www.louisvicta.com. That's Louis with two eyes. Um, I don't post much on social media because, like, I believe, like, my work is, like, made to be seen on a bigger screen. Because, like, I like to put the little details in there. But, yeah, um, my website's, like, the best uh, place to check out, like, my newest work. And you ever miss podcasting? Ever think about getting back into that? I'm going to let my friend Lorraine, um, you know... Yeah, she's going to make the decision to do that. Yeah, But I do miss podcasting. I do miss like the whole aspect of like sitting with other people and meeting them and sharing their energy. Because um, after, after transitioning into this line of work, I find that I'm a little bit more solitary now. Like a lot more solitary as opposed to like, you know, being surrounded by a staff of like 40 people every night. So, yeah. Well, if you ever want to come back and be on this podcast, you want to take it over for a couple months for me, give me a break, you're welcome to do that. But thanks so much for your time. It was great chatting with you. Uh, No worries. Um, I really look forward to this. So, yeah, it was great. The news is next. This is Food and Loathing. 
We are all over social media. Just search for Food and Loathing or reach out directly. Info at foodandloathing.vegas. And where am I these days? What am I doing? Most important, what am I eating, cooking, and learning? Find out in time at wishboneandvine.com. One more time, that's info at foodandloathing.vegas. And my site, wishboneandvine.com. And it's time for the news. Sister restaurants Flower Child and North Italia, which currently operate in the Summerlin area just across from Boca Park, are expanding to Henderson. Both national chains are preparing to open locations within the district at Green Valley Ranch in 2024. We're told they'll be located, quote, on the north side of the district, north of REI and the coffee bean and tea leaf. Love uh, Italia, North Italia. Good stuff. Well, yeah, I don't get in there very often, but um, maybe I will more frequently. Um, we're now more than a week into November, which means that stone crab season is now underway in Florida. It kicked off on October 15th, and it's usually right about now that they start appearing at local restaurants. Um, and I'm looking at this. My, ever since I put these notes in, things have changed. I just got back from a <laughs> message back from my friends at Piero's. They have them. You can buy them by the claw. You could do a three-claw appetizer. You could do a six-claw uh, entree there. Also, Seagulls is bringing them back. Seagulls 1941 in the El Cortez. And I believe that's $55 for a pound. Um, Pretty yes. darn good. Yeah, and yeah. I asked about the size, and they told me that it's about four to five crabs per pound, so you can figure that out. Yep. Um, and that that 55 bucks also includes coleslaw and cottage potatoes. And um, what else do we have? Joe's. 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 Yes. Yeah. How can we talk yeah. stone crabs and not talk about Joe's? They have them all year round, of course, at Joe's Seafood Prime Steak and Stone Crab in the Forum Shops. They got them right in the name of the restaurant. They have to have them year round. Uh-huh. But this is still the best time of year to order them because they have a lot more sizes to choose from and they're fresh, not frozen like they are in the off season. Um, I spoke to Joe's divisional president, Dave Quillen, about that. It's exciting because we now have a variety of sizes where once we get into summer, whatever we have is what we have and there's no more to get. So now we're able to have, I think just this past weekend, we had as many as six different sizes available. They come in daily. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot more exciting. And we, you know, we, we look forward to this time of year every year. Six different sizes. Run them down. What are the six sizes? So they start at medium, which is roughly seven claws to a pound. Select is going to be six claws to a pound. Then you have large, it's five. And then you get into the bigger sizes. You have what we call junior jumbo, which is just in between large and jumbo. Then you have jumbo, and then we have colossal, which are, they can be as much as 12, 13 ounces per claw. Now, are those big ones more plentiful now at the beginning of the season? They tend to be, yes. Um, so we're, like I said, we're, we're very lucky to be able to have all of them currently, and we've been getting all of them over the past, you know, week and a half, two weeks. My first stone crab encounter was at the original Joe's Stone Crabs, south end of Miami Beach. It was uh, oh, wow. 31, 32 years ago, NBA All-Star Weekend in Miami. And, you know, Joe's down there, which has been open since the early 20s, First come, first serve. No reservations, no exceptions. And these limos full of NBA <laughs> players and their agents and their little girlfriends. Not all that little in some places. Uh, you know, And the fixer comes up and says, hey, can we get these guys? Nope, nope, stand in line. Stand in line, stand in line. And I was sitting next to a table of guys who had 
Had. Had. That's, thank you. <laughs> there you go. That's the word. <laughs> had stood in line, and I was about as far away from you for me as a, a very young Charles Barkley, and he was looking out the window and just laughing at those guys having to <laughs> drive off and go find someplace else. So good on Joe's, the original. And look, we all know prices are going up just about everywhere, but honestly, I never feel it more than when I look at the prices on steaks on the strip. Well, Sean McLean's Bala Italian Soul in Sahara, Las Vegas, wants to do something about that. I mean, if you're local. Just show Nevada ID every Tuesday night in November to get 50% off all steaks. You can also get 50% off wine on Wednesdays with that ID. And here's McLean's partner, Richard Camarada, to tell us all about it. We uh, really wanted to feature something that would entice the local community to continue to patron this building and really show off all the new and cool things that have happened in the last year. Uh, they've done an amazing job with the food and beverage and reinventing the property. Uh, and so it's just something where this property is really uniquely situated in a space that is very comfortable for people to get in and out of. And so we really felt like doing those promotions would just be another reason to get people down here. So uh, Tuesday nights, we're doing 50% off steaks, which is, you know, uh, a fun, just obviously a great deal for you as the consumer. Uh, you're getting some awesome product at a really good value. Uh, and then on Wednesday, we're doing the uh, half-off bottles, which, uh, again, just promotes the idea of uh, a opportunity for you to come down and experience some things that maybe you normally wouldn't uh, in a way that uh, will allow you to have a little bit of extra cash in your pocket when it's all said and done. So for um, both of these, they're for Nevada residents, correct? You need to show Nevada ID, and does the entire table have to have it? Uh, yeah, it is for Nevada, Nevada residents, excuse me. Uh, and no, we don't necessarily have to do it for the whole table. Uh, the steak option is just something where, you know, if you wanted to try a couple other things, but then you want to maybe add a steak on for the group, if you just want to try something, perfect, that's fine as well. Uh, the wine, obviously, you know, is bottles, so, uh, you know, you can have your own if you want, I guess, yeah. but uh, you certainly could share. It's obviously set up for that as well. So, men, so many people come to Las Vegas, they want a steak. And a lot of times they're a little blown away by what a steak costs on the Strip these days. So run me through, like, how many steaks do you have? You know, what are you proud of in your steak collection? And then where are they priced at? How's that, you know, play out with the 50% off? Sure. I mean, Bala's not necessarily like what you would call a classic steakhouse, but as any restaurant in Vegas, you know, you have to have an awesome uh, beef steak collection to kind of just, you know, compete with the natural uh, landscape that it is. Uh, and so we've always featured uh, two or three different steaks. When we Right now, we usually will offer one more just to, to kind of highlight that. Uh, you know, we'll do some different products. Either it's Creekstone, we'll do some, uh, some uh, stuff out of California. Uh, we've messed around with a little bit of some Italian varietals as well. So we'll keep it rotating depending on what's available. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, it kind of still features a little bit of the Italian spin of what we're already doing here. Cool. And what's the price range for your steaks normally? Uh, give or take right now, the, like, call it low 60s to a high-end steak being maybe, like, right around 95. Uh, so, obviously, you're getting those at half off that, so it's a really good bargain. Uh, and at the same time, uh, you know, we're not changing the quality. We're using the same product. Uh, and, you know, I mean, beef prices are crazy these days, so even, even that, you're getting a pretty good value. And the winners of the Great Las Vegas Coffee Shop giveaway, Winnie and Ethel's Diner, is now open. Yes. You'll recall this was a contest by developer Jay Dapper to find an old-school coffee shop slash diner for the Hunt Ridge Shopping Center across from the Hunt Ridge Theater. Um, and it was won, this big contest they held, by Esther's Kitchen veteran Aaron Lee and his partner Mallory Gott. Well, it is now open, selling dishes like biscuits and gravy, steak and eggs, sticky bun pancakes, and babka French toast. I have not made it in yet, but I'll let you know as soon as I do. Oh, I'm in. Let's go. 
Well, I tried to make it in yesterday as we record, Monday. They're closed on Tuesday. I got there at uh, 9 o'clock on Monday morning, and they were closed. There were people inside, and it was uh, Mallory who came out and said, we had so much business on Sunday, we just ran out of everything, and we're trying to restock and <laughs> uh, get it all together. So uh, see you Wednesday. All yeah, right. Well, that was, uh, you know, well, good for them. Good for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other news, the Golden Steer is expanding. There is an official ribbon cutting for the new edition on Thursday with the mayor and lots of VIPs. But since we're recording this prior to that event, I dropped by to speak with uh, the owners about it. And here is Amanda Signorelli, who is a managing partner. This is the first renovation since 1978. We are thrilled because we had an opportunity to take over our next door neighbor's space and convert it into an additional thousand square feet, almost 65 folks that we'll be able to host in that space alone. And the big thing for us was learning how do we physically expand the Golden Steer and keep the legacy. The worst scenario for us was to make it something modern and really new and really glitzy and glamorous. The best for us was how do we preserve what is historic? What do we do that's true to this space and use it as an opportunity to take it and expand and act Actually endeavor to have that legacy come alive. Chef owner James Trees has named Chef Sean O'Hara as executive chef of Esther's Kitchen, effective immediately. O'Hara is the first chef to be named to this newly created position for the seasonal Italian restaurant in the Las Vegas Arts District. Sean brings an incredible array of experiences, awesome creativity, and most of all, the right mindset, making him the perfect choice for the first executive chef of Esther's. We're lucky to have him and excited for the future, says Trees. A graduate of Johnson Wales University, O'Hara's brief but impressive resume includes significant time in the kitchens of New York's legendary Jean Georges and Del Posto, as well as six years in Napa, California's legendary The French Laundry. In coordination with Chef Trees, O'Hara will be leading the team as they transition to Esther's new Main Street location in the next few weeks. All right, here it is, the best for last. It's time for Mambo Sauce Update. <laughs> Basically, Rich has run out of fast food things yeah, to talk right. about in Las Vegas, so now he's searching out fast food <laughs> dishes from other locales. Well, I as, love it. As you I recall, last week I failed to find any Mambo Sauce at participating McDonald's. I went to four different ones. They were all out. One manager said it's been very popular, and I confirmed when I went shopping for Mambo Sauce online I found someone selling two of the little packets of McDonald's Mambo sauce for $8 on eBay. What? And then even like $15 for a half a dozen or something like that. It was insane. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm hoping they don't get any buyers. Yeah, I yeah. Don't think That's they insanity. Do. There is, I mean, Jesus. Yeah. yeah, okay. There's a popular brand sold nationwide called Capital City Mambo sauce. Those in the DMV spell it with Mumbo, M-U-M-B-O. I did not order a bottle. I checked a bunch of recipes online. And I made my own. <laughs> to a condiment inspired by a McDonald's gimmick. Yeah. Well, I no, it. it's a long-standing, <laughs> wonderful joint. These are KFC actual chicken breast uh, nuggets I have for you. The basic recipe is <laughs> ketchup, hot sauce, white vinegar, pineapple juice, sugar, smoky paprika, and a bit of soy sauce. Heat it all, simmer for 10 to 15 minutes, and then cool. That's from the Food Network. And uh, Al has... Taking a bite. Yeah. Um, and now he's put it back. Oh, no, he's going in for another one. Getting some more dipping. Yeah. I'll use the other side of the nugget so I didn't double dip with I my spit care. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it tastes like a fucking condiment. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, it provides moisture to help the fried food go down. Always. And it has enough indiscernible flavors that it would make for a great Doritos flavor. 
because <laughs> you don't know what the fuck it is, but there's a lot of shit you recognize in it. Ketchup, and, hot um, sauce, vinegar, pineapple, smoky paprika, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I put it on chicken sandwich. I mean, but... I don't see what um yeah I mean I, I cannot imagine getting excited over this enough yeah. to buy packets on eBay for eight dollars yeah no <laughs> when I made it on Sunday I had a little extra and I put it on some wings that I had baked that sounds good yeah and it was good but it was uh yeah it's not a hot sauce it's a little sweet it's a little spicy it's a little of this a little smoky not any one big thing mm-hmm. okay. like I said like a Dorito flavor yeah. <laughs> I'm sure uh, they'll be uh, they'll be doing that there. So that ends. I'm, I'm entering that in the next Dorito. I don't even know what Do that. It. I never had mamba sauce till fucking today, but I'm entering it in the next name your own flavor, and I bet Do I'll it. win. You taking it home with you? <laughs> no, no. I mean, Rich, I mean, honestly, no. It's it, it's fine. Yeah, but, I it's mean, fine. That's it. If you had told me it was a barbecue sauce that you bought, and it was somebody's crazy barbecue sauce, yeah, yeah. or somebody's spin on ketchup. I would just be like, yeah, I don't care. Put it on. It'll moisten up the sandwich. That for right. you know, several decades in Washington, D.C., that's pretty what it, much what it is, a spin on ketchup. All right. <laughs> uh, that's all the mom. I will never word, enter those two words again on this podcast again. I this mean, hopefully I it'll be promise. newsworthy again. I do hope it, it comes up because you're now our expert. I'm going to be offering know, you right? up. If I ever you're get a phone call Mambo from somebody... Expert. You know, the LVCVA <laughs> needs somebody to talk about Mamba sauce. You're my guy, man. I'm oh, yeah. calling you. Well, that's going to happen. That's about it for the show. <laughs> Thanks to our guests, Louis Victor, Dave Quillen, Jared Howard, Richard Camerata, and, um, oh, my goodness, I'm forgetting the name, Amanda over at the Golden Steer. Thank you very much. And for Rich Johnson and Samantha Gemini Stevens and the Mambo sauce, <laughs> I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Stay hungry.